Welcome back, everybody. This is the Edup Experience Podcast, where we make education your business, interviewing the brightest and most influential minds in higher education today. We said that the last guest was cool. These guests are amazing. And there's Even two cooler. Oh. We have two guests. <laughs> now, we're going to do a four by four, as they will, which you can get from In-N-Out Burger, if you've ever been into In-N-Out Burger. And we're live at the Anthology Together Conference. And I'm running out of things to say. Liz, would you like to add anything? I want to jump in and say that I can't believe you made a reference to In-N-Out Burger, which I have been craving because we don't have In-N-Out Burger in Florida. Yes, I had it two nights ago, in fact. Oh, my gosh. Please With stop. milkshake and two fries. I'm so mad three at by you. Three. Anytime I used to go to California, I would always get In-N-Out Burger. And I always used to say, what is this whole thing about In-N-Out Burger? And when I had it, I was like, oh, my gosh. This well, is the best burger I've connection. ever had. Watch how this works. Mm. So In-N-Out Burger primarily is in California. Correct. But And I live in California. Yes. But I'm from Syracuse, New York, originally where I grew up. Yes, you are. Syracuse, New York won the 2003 National Championship oh, uh, wow. game in college basketball against the University of Kansas. Huh. And we happen to have two guests here from the University of Kansas, Victoria and Bridget. How are you guys? You like that? Love that. How, you like that? It was like that coast was to coast. Phenomenal. Oh, that was amazing. All Good right. job. All right. All right. 2003. Right. That was a painful year. Thank that was a long time ago. That long time ago. Right. Victoria, Bridget, University of Kansas. Yes. Welcome to the Edit Experience Welcome. Podcast. Welcome. Welcome. And Victoria, we'll start with you. What do you do at the University of Kansas? And tell us what your role is, and, and then we'll go to Bridget. Absolutely. I am the senior digital strategist at KU Endowment. So my focus is uh, engaging alumni and donors via social media, email marketing, and the website. Mm. I've been, yeah, I've been there seven years next month. Wow. Oh, congrats. Thank you. That's a long time. Okay, okay. I am a fundraiser. I'm in our annual giving department. Uh, I do a lot of direct mail and email fundraising uh, for the $1,000 to $25,000 group. I like it. All right. So we've got a fundraiser and a marketer. Two tough jobs in the Very. world of higher education today. Um, I happen to be uh, a marketer and enrollment person. And one of the, and I'm going to start with you, Victoria. One of the most fascinating things I find here in higher education is the concept of shelf space, right? We have to recruit students. We have to retain students. We want to message uh, to alumni. We want to uh, get donations from alumni. We want to get donations from people who are not alumni. So every time in my institution, when um, when fundraising would come in and say, hey, we need to put this on the website, or can we move this over here, move that over there? I would have to, since I was in charge of the website, I have to go at the expense of what? How do we fit this all in? And that can create a lot of conflict and maybe conflict's not the right word. Opportunity for collaboration, if you will. How do you balance that? It's so hard. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I think running on a calendar. So we just have to think ahead all the time. What are the messaging points that we're trying to get out to our alumni donor? Um, what are the specific campaigns that we're trying to raise money for? Um, and really plugging those into a calendar where we can see here's when we're going to be talking to people and how we're going to talk to them and making room for, you know, on the fly things, obviously things come up that we can't plan for. Um, but like every, this, for example. Absolutely. <laughs> did not plan for this. So um, absolutely. So it's, you know, having a, a, an editorial calendar is probably uh, key there. So yeah, it's I, we've got one too. And then it always feels like 
sometimes in the future it's it's stale like we planned for this thing to happen and it's not happening the way we intended but these really cool things are happening right now and they're happening in different departments all over so we're what goes first and who's on first what's on second i don't know who's on third right that whole thing right so we have our uh cornerstone campaigns and bridget could probably talk more about this those are our most important campaigns that we're running throughout the year. And so those get the most focus. Um, and then probably after that, we we run crowdfunding projects uh, all throughout the year. So those are things that we're trying to plug in in the meantime and uh, raise awareness for. So that would probably be our, our second priority. But then really storytelling has to always be the priority. Um, and so where can we fit in some impact stories from donors? Where can we fit in, um, you know, news releases and that yep. sort of thing. So uh, it, it's a revolving door there and um, trying to find space is, is definitely a problem sometimes, but I think we're doing it well and, you know, always looking for ways to improve. That's why we're here at the conference. Yes. <laughs> and I want to ask Bridget a question and then I'll pass it to Liz. But I, before I do, I, I would like to say that I, I thought <laughs> that we have some ladies here that in the fan club, they Absolutely. said they're in the fan club. Groupies. I thought they were in our fan club. I thought so too. And then I realized Aww. they're in Victoria and Bridget's fan club. Yeah, awesome. we travel with an entourage. Yes, I, and, and so I have been severely disappointed since yeah. this episode began. Well, you're used to disappointment. But I'm very Don't impressed by it. our guests that carry around a, an entourage of, of fans. Yeah. So I love it. Cool. Um, Bridget, to you, uh, fundraising has gone through some transition, I would say, recently. Every fundraiser I talk to kind of comes with a sigh. <sighs> first yeah. as they explain how hard it's been how hard it will be the connections how those have changed what's your just give me your you know give me your two seconds of for two minutes or two years of <laughs> two <laughs> years for sure of of thoughts on how your job's changed well you know i'm lucky uh in that the way that i fundraised before everything changed uh was with direct mail and email. And I was able to kind of just keep doing that the way that I had before. I know for our major gift officers, uh, it has been quite a transition for them not being able to travel um, and having to do some more Zoom uh, contacts. And that's been hard for them. But I think it's also been a really good opportunity for them to um, get more contact in because they're not relying on being there in person. And they've gotten comfortable with this technology that Nobody really used until, you know, 16 months ago. Is that how long it's been? I think so. How <laughs> that? Yeah. So uh, for me, uh, I sit at a desk and I send out mail and I send out email and I just switched to a different desk in my basement. And yeah, didn't uh, we still, all? Yeah, still sending out mail and still sending out email. So that's that's how it's been for me. But even more so. So one of the sessions that we'll be be presenting at tomorrow is talking about that transition from direct mail to email. And of course, we took this opportunity to add additional email context because we weren't going to be able to make up for that sort of in-person contact. Sure. So, um, And not only that, but, uh, you know, we had an in-house student call center. And when we shut down, we ended up having to outsource that uh, and take that outside of our building. And uh, that was a new process for us. So we wouldn't be able to call certain uh, populations like we were planning to. Sure. So that's one thing that we did pivot is that instead of calling the particular uh, constituencies that I communicate with, we just added some more email touches in. 
So, and that's, that's what Victoria and I are here to talk about is how we did that. Uh, and Don't give how, it all away. We, we not, want people how, to How can attend. I tease this? <laughs> tease it, right? <laughs> how we're kind of manipulating the data that we have um, and using that data to personalize our communications, but how to do that in a scalable way. Well, th speaking of manipulating, let me uh, introduce <laughs> you to my co-host, Liz. So. Oh, yeah, it's a perfect segue for me. <laughs> and and I think this is also fascinating because there has been so much has changed over the past year or so. We've all had to navigate such unforeseen circumstances. What are some of the things that you've learned or what are some of the lessons or some of the, the high points in terms of how you've been able to take some of those abilities to pivot and, and use that as you move forward. Like how you talked about nobody really use Zoom or how we've actually become so accustomed to jumping on Zooms and communicating by email and communicating with all this digital that we, it's almost as though it doesn't feel intrusive anymore because we're so used to it. So some, what are some of the things that you've learned that you think will be helpful moving forward as we kind of navigate these new, this new post COVID world? Well, I, people talk about Zoom fatigue. I, I love it. Me too. Uh, <laughs> I love Zoom. Too, I'm, I'm kind of an introvert, so yeah. I, I don't mind having quiet time at my desk and, and just being able to kind of turn 90 degrees and look at my camera and, and connect Except with somebody. you've owned that microphone since you picked it up. I for see the record, that. Right? She looks you so confident. A death grip on this. She is white knuckling it just as she, she is like on fire with that microphone. This is it right I here. I don't want to drop it. No, but you're, you're you're killing it right now. Does this have something I'm, to do with Aaron's? Uh, yeah, I uh, my other my other is an audio engineer, so uh, I know how much these things oh, cost. Oh, there you go. They're not so, cheap. So you're a pro right now. <laughs> no, but Zoom does allow those who wouldn't be good in a meeting room, right? right to to really to gain all the information without feeling like eyes are on them 24 seven contribute when they want to contribute, but then not contribute when you don't agree. That's right? true. And also, you know, you've got your computer right there with you. So right. where you might be in a conference room and with Data. a notepad, yeah. you know, you can hop on your, on your computer and get whatever you need right there. So I'm a big fan. Absolutely. I would say, yeah, having that access during a meeting, it's like, how did this email perform? And I'm like, well, let me just pull that mm -hmm. up right here right now. Um, but yeah, speaking of email, I feel like we've learned that we can communicate more with email and we're not, our unsubscribe rates, even though we have nearly doubled the amount of uh, emails that we we're sending out in a fiscal year, our unsubscribe rates are still hovering between zero and 1%. Wow. So that is, we know now that we're not bothering them. No, we can keep emailing them and, you know, making sure that our, our, email communications are personalized and that we're talking to them in the way that we think that they want to be talked to. Um, and so we've, we've seen some great success with email uh, since, since the pandemic. And isn't that funny? I love that you said that we're not bothering them because it totally reframes the way that we think about email communication, because I think that I've always felt that too. Like email lists, very intrusive. People don't want to get multiple emails, but like you said, actually people I think have welcomed that, especially in this post COVID landscape because of, information being such a hot commodity, right? Have Absolutely. you found that, that people want to be informed and want to know what's going on a little bit more than what we probably anticipated prior to all of this? I think so. And I, I also, I, I heard a statistic a long time ago that it takes three touches to even get to somebody's yep. inbox. So if you're not trying at least three times to get a hold of them, then 
you're not trying enough. So uh, that's something that we've kept in mind and even um, built upon, you know, having our strategy being at least three touches per campaign. Uh, so, and now even more so. So I love that as a sales strategy. I'm going to pass it back to Joe. Cause he loves, he's very, you saw me reaching, but he was... knows so much. You guys see, he has this silver Fox go thing going on with the white hair. <laughs> he's been in higher education for so long. He's actually my mentor and coach. He's, he's so well-versed in marketing and what we need to do better. <laughs> so I'm, gonna let step I'm in. just waiting for you to stop. Going. <laughs> um, but I, I, so I want him to definitely take over and ask more questions, but, I love that you said that three touches because it really speaks to the heart of what sales is all about. And if we think about campaigning, we think about fundraising. I mean, literally it is sales. And we know that intuitively you're not going to, you can't in a sale, you can't talk to somebody one time expect to make, I mean, a one call close is literally like what phenomenal, right? Yeah, in sales. Well, yeah. Like when I did it, when I was in admissions, Holy it was crap. like, whoa, if you did that, you were like the star for the day. So we know that that's not something that typically happens. But for some reason in email, we always feel like, oh, I don't want to, do that because they're going to get mad at me and we know that that doesn't happen typically in sales that people want that to build that credibility or build that relationship with you until they do feel secure so i love that you say that because it's mm -hmm. actually very salient and i think it's weird that we don't think about that we don't like when we are talking about email campaigns it's uh, like actually we, i do think about that I mean, well you, you do but you're an, i don't because i'm just <laughs> lowly be faculty so that's not a part of my wheelhouse but you as an expert marketer for your institution how, how much of an expert let's keep going yeah, yeah you're don't, amazing don't go you're, you're a phenomenal on. marketer but these ladies i think really gave um i think a primer in this idea of you have to have those multiple touches and, and email is no different than any other um strategy in that you have to kind of maintain that consistency. Well, let's right? talk about brand because email, you know, here's one of the main questions that we ask, have, and it's a main, it's a big question for higher education. It's the concept of competition. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, and I don't, I don't just mean for students, although that is a big area, right. For donors against healthcare, right. And mm -hmm. people, uh, the statistics say that a lot of dollars during coronavirus have shifted away from education and shifted to healthcare. Uh, that makes sense, right? That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so, but higher education, can we get that, those dollars back? And so there's a lot of alumni dependency, um, that was, that's, that's there more now because those are people that have that hopefully are very supportive of the brand versus a, a, a maybe a major gift donor that says, oh, you know, I'm going to send my $5 million to the Red Cross instead of to the University of so-and-so. But brand makes a difference. And you guys, University of Kansas, has a marquee brand. It's, it's a, a marquee mm -hmm. brand. Is that the foundation of your strategy? I'm sure it was a part of the strategy before, mm -hmm. but now as it heats up in higher ed, it has to be a foundational strategy for fundraising to say, we're the University of Kansas. Mm -hmm. We're a marquee brand. Give money to us. It sounds crass the way I'm saying it, but well, donate true. to Basically. us in, nicely <laughs> and come to the University of Kansas, right? I mean, right. That, that is, it's all a, a flywheel. Or are versus... there other elements as well that you have to think about to nuance it a little bit more? Like, how does that actually function? You know, we, we spend a lot of time uh, messaging about the things that we're doing that's world class, that's um, mm. research leading in the research industry uh, industry and so uh we rely on the accomplishments of our university that's happening now to tell donors that 
you should give back because we're leading in the breast cancer research industry. We're so we can compete with the American Cancer Society. We can compete with Susan, yep. Susan uh, G. Komen. I like that. Um, to tell yeah. our story. And it, it gives them this sense of locality too. So I'm giving back to um, a, a location that is near to me, that is hopefully dear to me. And um, I can see those tangible results. So again, back to the storytelling, like if we can convey that, we're doing the same things as these other big players in the industry, um, but local to KU, uh, we can hopefully convince them to be to be donors. Talk to us about storytelling, because I think that the big brand universities, those big traditional schools, those big four-year universities really do a good job because they have a lot of resources. Like you said, there's the research. I mean, there's a big football team or a basketball team. There's something to build that story around um, and also the legacy of the school. What advice would you give for colleges and universities that really haven't found their space and, and they're not really sure how to actually mobilize that idea of storytelling? What are some of your tips or just some of the things that maybe you can share with our audience that might be helpful in terms of how to develop that as a skill with their marketing and their, their team? Absolutely. Um, well, for advancement purposes, go where your donors are. So um, follow any major gifts that are happening and let's mm. let's talk to the donor let's find out we're meeting with donors and our and I'm, i work in the communications and marketing team mm -hmm. and we're meeting with donors to talk about why they're giving and some of them have really inspirational stories oh, um, i like that absolutely yeah we so have, you guys do like focus groups in a sense mm, more so just reaching out to them to to hear their story gotcha. individual yeah, she basically said no you're wrong <laughs> <laughs> But I'm just trying to see the strategy so I can figure out how it works. I think this is super fascinating. I love the idea of storytelling because I'm an English um, instructor and I teach creative writing. Oh, yes. And um, unlike Joe, I actually have a degree in journalism. He's communications, Ooh, which communications is really not a degree in anything <laughs> other than how to BS and talk. I love when you give it back. It's not even a real degree thing. program. Other it's than, real, I, I promise. Well, it's real that you went to school to party, which is what you told me, and it was I about the girl-to-guy ratio. I said it was a girl-to-guy ratio was research point, maybe the main one, <laughs> but I did not say a party. I went to <laughs> class every day. I never missed mm. class in my mm. life. I went to, I took ballroom dancing and the philosophy of <laughs> yoga, wasn't it? Of yoga. And there you go. I got a D, but anyway. <laughs> so storytelling. How are you able to, so it's more of an individual one-on-one -on -one basis. How are you able to evoke those stories and, and how can uh, other colleges and universities want to kind of build that strategy? How can they do that? So reaching out to individuals and finding out what their actual story experience was, was part of that. Right, yeah, working with your development staff to find out what's you know coming down the pipeline, what's some interesting people that they've met with. So those frontline mm. people really know who has interesting stories about why they gave. And so we connect with them and we say, hey, give us some leads on some stories. And then we uh, meet separately with the donor to talk about the the why. So we really focus on the why they gave and that's what we um, focus on in our in our storytelling and our messaging. And um, yeah, and I think I, I wanted to talk a little bit about how, you know, in our email strategy, something that Bridget has been genius at is being able to tell that story for each individual donor that we're reaching out to. So really sp specifically talking to them and she's the data whiz. She'll have to talk about this some more. So it's almost like you differentiate when you're marketing. When disaggregate the data. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Bridget, tell us about <laughs> Tell us more, Bridget. This is fascinating. Well, I'm, I'm the data geek for sure. Love it. <laughs> we're here for it. I, I let them do the marketing. Um, but, 
there's always little points in the data that you can draw from to personalize, like I said, on a scalable way. So if we're sending out 500 emails, they could all be different. And that's, that's what I do is Mm -hmm. I find those places in the data and I build some more data that lets us do that. So last question to you, ladies, I'm going to ask you both on a scale of one to 10. A lot of people don't understand fundraising. It's it's fundraising. It's, you know, there are people are off there. It's super easy. It's uh, just money just rolls it. Scale of one to 10, 10 being hardest, one being easy. How hard is fundraising now? Now? Um, I think from where I'm sitting, it's it's not any harder than it's been. Mm. Uh, just uh, we kept our foot on the pedal um, when everything kind of went crazy last year. Uh, we just kept going It pedal the metal. Love it. Um, and we've had a good year. Mm-hmm. So I, the need doesn't change. The need has not changed and the need has grown. Mm-hmm. Um, we started doing a lot um, for uh, student assistant funds. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I'd say it's about as hard as it's ever been, <laughs> uh, but not Which any is hard. harder. It's hard. It's hard. Which yes. Hard. It's okay. hard, but it's not that hard. And, and really just kind of, put your foot down and, and keep going. Well, you do an important job and you're doing it for a great university, University of Kansas. And um, I, it's been a pleasure to talk to you ladies. You Thank might've been you. nervous coming in, but you just nailed it yeah. as pros <laughs> coming it. out. So now Thank you can you go guys. start your own podcast. Yeah, now university. <laughs> go yeah. relax. Yeah. Hey, we're going to start a there's podcast. nothing that you can do that you will should. engage your alumni like a podcast. That's so right. there you go, ladies there and gents. So you know where to come for advice, not to listen to me. Go. Yeah, uh, you're the expert. Yeah, I'm just it. your humble mentee. That's right. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Another episode of the Edip Experience podcast live here at Anthology Together 2021. Thank you, ladies, uh, Bridget and Victoria. Thank you. Thank, Thank you so you. much.